Welcome to Garden DC, a podcast of Washington Gardener magazine, all about gardening in the greater Washington DC and mid-Atlantic area. Your host is Kathy Gents, editor of Washington Gardener magazine. This episode, we're joined by Marion Wilburn, small town gardener, who was our first podcast guest and lived to tell the tale. (laughs) She's back to join us again um, to talk about gardening and chickens. I'm a glutton for punishment, obviously. (laughs) Hello, Marianne. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day. It's a little cold and crisp, but it is a lovely one. So it's a good day. And there's a freeze watch uh, for this evening in our area that I'm not sure if it will affect you, but it sounds like most of the eastern shore and rest of the area might get a little zapped tonight. Oh, it's definitely going to affect me. I'm down here in my little stream valley and we get the crumbs of D.C. heat. So... Uh I, I, it's definitely going to affect us. I'm covering Good. it. Well, as long as you're taking precautions and forewarned is <laughs> something is safe. I don't have to go. I don't have to go tuck a duvet around the chickens. However, they will be fine. That was going to be my next question is, is <laughs> the chicks, the chicks, the baby chicks, are they in like a hot box or how do they arrive to you? Well, I don't have baby chicks this mm-hmm. year. I have baby ducklings this oh, year. Cool. I had baby chicks last year, so my flock is about a year mm-hmm. old. And they you can get them through the mail, mm-hmm. but you have to buy usually about 25 chicks at a time. And it's hard to find other people who want to go in with you. So I tend to call around my different feed stores in February or March and find out which breeds they're going to have so I can, and which days they're going to have them Mm -hmm. so I can go where I need to go to get what I need. And when they come into the feed store, they're about a day old. Nice. So my uh, aunt was telling me that my grandfather who had chickens and corn and cows at some point, um, he would have a, a spring ritual of picking up his several dozen chicks at the rural post office and took her along in the truck and she was allowed for that ride and allowed to like pet them and name them. And then she was never to see them again. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like, well, you know, there, there's yeah. some smart smartness in there. I made the mistake years ago of allowing my daughter who was then, about 12 to pick out our uh, finger quotes barn cats and she picked out the cutest and the sweetest barn cats and so the the, as soon as the first winter rolled around they sat at the window going but we're so nice why won't you let (laughs) us in and um, what we needed was these feral, spitting, horrible cats, mm-hmm. and we didn't, so that you could easily say, go take care of the barn, but we didn't. So now we have three house cats that occasionally go outside. <laughs> so now <laughs> with your new ducklings, are yes. they house ducklings now? <laughs> well, I'm not diapering them, if that's what yes. you mean. They they are in the house. They're currently in the garage. They're in phase two. So phase one usually starts out with any type of baby bird 
but we have a brooder box, which is a small, large tote. I never have more than probably 10 or 12 at one time. And I only have five ducklings this year because they're really going to be pets. Mm -hmm. And I will admit to that they're I'm not getting them to eat them. I'm, I have plenty of eggs. I don't necessarily need the duck eggs. So uh, we got just five. They stay in a brooder box in on the dining room table for about a week. So I can just sort of monitor them and make sure they're healthy and everything. And then they go into phase two. And that means down into the garage, into a large pen area that we either do with wire or we do with straw bales. And they have about two to three weeks there. And then they'll go out into wherever we're going to be keeping them. And in the case of the ducklings, that's still in flux right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, the chicks went straight out into the barn, but they still had a nice warm lamp to cluster under. By five weeks, the chicks have already got a fair amount of feathers. Mm -hmm. So they're being able to keep themselves a little warmer. When they just have down on those little bodies, they can't keep themselves warm. I can imagine. So how many chickens do you have currently? I have 12 hens and one rooster named Winston. <laughs> now, why, why do you have a rooster? So <laughs> that's my big question. I've never been a fan of roosters other than, you know, the, the statue kind at Chanticleer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's actually a lot of great reasons to have a rooster. Mm -hmm. One is obviously the male female sex thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get fertile eggs, which means that if one of my hens goes broody, she can sit on those eggs and those eggs will eventually hatch if she does her job properly. And we've had a couple different uh, clutches of um of chicks that were raised here uh, that I did not have to deal with chicks at all. She took care of all of it for me. And so that's one mm -hmm. great reason for having a rooster. The second reason is that roosters really are the man around town and they protect their women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're always looking up and looking around. If you've got a good rooster uh, looking out for hawks, they're looking out for any type of danger, and they will very quickly get uh, those hens into a place of shelter or into the coop if they notice anything's wrong. They also, they, they just tend to be the leader mm -hmm. of the pack. Uh, sometimes you, you get different roosters. Uh, there have been roosters, friend had a rooster recently that was just a horrible, horrible bird, would attack the yep. kids. Uh, that type yeah. of thing. That's but, my childhood memories of roosters. <laughs> Just really yeah, nasty. But I, yeah. But for all the roosters I've had, um, and I've had several, I have never had that type of situation. I have had roosters that once the new chicks were coming to sexual maturity, he attacked and killed them, ah. sort of like a lion, mm -hmm. like a lion does. But I have never had them attacking. Uh, people but that absolutely happens my grandfather got attacked really badly by one and tore tore a big heck heck out of his back yeah. uh so you know that's where soup comes in <laughs> <laughs> um yep. and that so that they're just a bit of a protection also because i'm in the country for the most part that uh rooster crowing is part of the 
the sounds, the soundtrack of our lives here. And I, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's just part of being out here. So I really missed not having a rooster this last flock because you can buy sexed chicks. So I know I'm getting hens, or at least I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure I'm getting hens. And none of them turned out to be a rooster. So I ended up going to a neighbor who had a abundance of roosters and uh, taking one of his after about nine months with these guys because I just missed it. Um, but if I was in the city, as I was uh, with chickens, I wouldn't even think of getting a rooster because it would disturb people around me. Yeah, there's there's a legendary rooster in Tacoma Park, Roscoe. <laughs> um evaded cat he name. evaded capture for uh i believe it was two years um so he's quite the urban legend um but he, <laughs> like the hound of the baskervilles yes. so or... he was between like hedgerows <laughs> and between like you know weedy areas of people's backyards and i don't know how he, he did it for so long but then he was a horrible nuisance like people were just like we cannot sleep with this guy <laughs> But you would, right. I would love to, I'd love tracking him through all the neighborhood listserv posts and they'd be like, I saw him, my kids got scared by him. And then, you know, two days later he's on this block, but yep, he, oh, he was fun. quite the, the adventurer, but. Well, a lot of people don't really realize what roosters do. Why, why would you mm -hmm. have them? And some people are unaware of how hens lay eggs and why they lay eggs and uh, I know that when I was fighting the powers fighting the man uh, down in the city council at the last city that I lived in to have chickens one of the that the mayor asked me well how are they going to have eggs if you don't have a rooster <laughs> and uh, anybody who's kept chickens realizes hens don't need a rooster to lay eggs yeah they lay eggs it's whether or not they're going to be mm -hmm. fertile eggs and that is not you're not going to taste that change um you could see it in the eggs if you let them sit long enough but uh you don't need a rooster to have chickens correct or you don't need for the eggs much as most all other creatures ovulate without the male so <laughs> yeah right yeah. and and you know, and right now in the springtime, especially in this, which is their second spring, they are just pumping out those eggs. And it's ironic. And I know you were interested in this uh, because of what's going on right now with COVID and egg shortages. All of the stores have limits on eggs and how many you can buy. And sometimes they don't have eggs at all. And meanwhile, we are drowning in eggs and there is only so much custard you can make. Mm -hmm. uh, you can freeze eggs. And I've done that quite a bit where you crack them into a bowl uh, for a specific recipe. For instance, if I was making uh, a baked custard that I make all the time, I know I need eight eggs for that. So I break eight eggs into a Tupperware container or what is Rubbermaid, whatever it is. And put it into the freezer. And then when I defrost that, I've got eight eggs because you can't obviously mm -hmm. separate them. So uh, there's lots of ways of, of preserving that. And then, of course, I'm giving them to friends and I'm giving them to neighbors and selling them here and there. So 
it's just great to know that that is at least something mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about. And that's why I think there's been such a surge in interest in chicken keeping, um, whether your local municipality or county or ordinances allow. I think there are a lot of chickens living in people's garages, you know, against the law or furtively at this point. But um, what would be your best advice to somebody who wanted to get a couple of chickens because they want the eggs right now and for the food security? Well, uh, the first thing they need to realize is chickens do not start laying eggs until they're 20 weeks old. Mm -hmm. So they, that would mean that chickens that I'm buying, chicks that I'm buying now won't start laying until about August or September. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you can buy pullets, however, which are 20 to 22 week old hens, and they're usually a very specific breed. They're usually a cross of, of Rhode Island red, like a red star or a black star. And they tend to just offer one type of pullet, mm-hmm. they meaning the feed stores. And you can buy those, I think, in the next uh, four to six weeks. Uh, you can sign up to, to buy a pullet so you can start from there. These birds are going to be a lot more skittish because they're not hand-reared, but they will produce eggs. And they are breeds that are bred to produce eggs. Mm -hmm. So they will produce more than the average pretty breed, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it just depends on what you want. If you want to watch the process and buy eggs for those 20 weeks, then that's fine. And if you want to just start with pullets, that's fine too. I, if you can make do with just waiting for eggs, I think it's a wonderful experience to watch a, a hen mature and get that first egg one day in the, as things are starting to turn and fall. And wow, there's an egg in the, in the laying box. Nice. And what would you say would the minimum be? Cause I know, you know, chickens are, are social creatures. So like three to five? They are, they are social creatures. And I would say, I would say three. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do two, but I would say three, three to five is probably good. And there's always a good chance you could lose a chick Mm -hmm. um, for lots of different reasons. And so a little bit of insurance is not a bad thing. It also could be that you, you end up with a rooster instead of a hen. (laughs) <laughs> and then you, you know, and you could, yes. and you could do that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my neighbor who I got the rooster from, he bought sexed chickens or you know, chick hens, and he ended up with five roosters and I think six. Oh, wow. So yeah. whoever was working at the factory that day, sexing chicks <laughs> was drinking on the job. Apparently. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so that's a little bit of insurance, but I would say, Three would be fine, and that would probably take care of your egg requirements if you were single or just a couple. Uh, We went through, when both of my kids were at home, we went through three to four dozen eggs a week. Wow. And that's because I cooked a lot, and I used eggs are a really great source of protein, and they are a very cheap source of protein. So now with the, all those eggshells are, are you using those in the garden? Are you composting them? Um, I actually 
uh, do what a friend of mine in Wales used to do. And that is they all go into a little, I have a little bowl by the side of the stove where they go into that. And then that bowl, when it gets filled, goes into a large uh, crock mm-hmm. underneath the sink, which uh, I, I pound down with a mallet. And then I sprinkle those very finely pounded down shells back into the chicken run where they can and will peck at Mm -hmm. them and bring that calcium back into their diet. I have another source of calcium through the feed that I use, but I like to give them that. And also whatever they don't actually peck up, I am constantly using that soil to enrich my garden beds. So yes, in the end, it goes back into the garden beds one way or another, even if it takes 50 years to break down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I tend to crush up my eggshells just from baking and put them in the microwave for a minute. Do you do any sterilization process? No, I don't. Um, I've never felt that it was necessary. Um, perhaps that's haphazard of me, but no, it, microwaving them would make them a little bit more brittle mm-hmm. and probably a little bit um, it would make them break down a little faster, I think. Yeah, a tiny bit. Uh, having those gamma rays hitting them, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, I, I have not done that. Um, I have just gone from the traditions of friends of mine and what they do, and that has seemed to work for us. Because I honestly, if you have a garden and you have a and you live in a place where you can legally have chickens, there is no better circle of life that you can create than having those two things. Uh, because I feed those chickens, all of my garden scraps, all of my weeding scraps. Uh, it, it's motivating to weed because they need greens mm-hmm. in that run. And then all of that wonderful, they make eggs out of all that mess and wonderful stuff. And what they don't eat, what they don't use, they scratch around back into that soil. They poop on that soil. And then I, when I need a couple wheelbarrows full or more of good earth to amend beds, to amend vegetable garden, et cetera, I just go in there and dig it up. Nice. And it's, it's incredible how quickly it breaks down. It's absolutely incredible. And not only that, if I have in my real compost pile, which doesn't get as much of a workout anymore because I have a hugel culture bed and the chickens, so the compost pile is a little poor. But in the very first days, I would take that fairly new compost pile that was almost done and put it into, put a couple wheelbarrows full and wheel that into the chickens. And they would just, they jump up there and grab all the sow bugs and they grab all the soldier fly larvae and, and they just clean it up for me. And then I'd take it onto the bed. So they're fantastic. Now, you talked a little bit about scratching it back into the soil, some of what they don't eat. So your chickens are confined, correct, to an area. They don't get free reign of your garden. Yes, I have a few things to say about this, actually. <laughs> um, how, how much time do we have, Kathy? I, um, I need to go in. I'm going to let you go. Okay, I want to start out by saying that there is nothing that makes me smile more broadly 
been seeing my chickens wandering around my garden because it's so beautiful. It's, it, you know, it, it's that ultimate pastoral look of the mm-hmm. chickens wandering around the garden. And there is nothing that makes me want to kill something faster <laughs> than seeing those same chickens scratching at the roots of something that I've just planted mm. and, and eating greens off of little seedlings that I've put in. So I have struggled with this over the last few years that we've been here because my chickens in the city were confined. We had a small sort of chicken tractor thing and they had a very small area to, to work with. Um, but here my heartstrings were being plucked. Oh, I want to see them wandering around and I don't really have seedlings and they'll be okay. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. Chickens are exceptionally destructive. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about seedlings uh, or green things that are low that they like to eat or berries. It's about the instinct that they have to scratch near the root zone of a plant because they know that bugs overwinter mm-hmm. and love to be near that and they find rich pickings there so what they'll do is uncover those roots to wind and to well to air and then they go on their merry way and if you are not paying attention <laughs> uh, not only will the plant suffer from the root shock but it suffers from the fact that you didn't notice it for a week um, and that ha- and that happens a lot here. I've got a lot of beds, and there have been many times where I've spent all afternoon putting something out, and they have come along behind me because they sniffed the fresh earth. Oh yes, yep. And and dug it right back up again, and looking for bugs. So it, this makes me. It, I think I get particularly annoyed by this because see, I see a lot of really cutesy books out there, and one, two, three, easy, easy articles that say, hey, you can have chickens in your garden and it's so much fun and isn't it pretty? And that they do, and they, well, the selling point they always have is they do the weeding for you. They do the <laughs> weeding for you. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. They do. And they do the weeding for you. If the weeds happen to be a gorgeous variegated Solomon seal that you just paid 10 bucks for. <laughs> um, so... And, you know, I've also seen, well, you just need to keep them out of a certain area. Uh-uh. No, because they will go for the root zone of most plants, a large shrubs, little shrubs, and then they create damage that way. So I finally said, that's it. I create, we have a, a run for our chickens, which is plenty of room, but still, oh, I want them to have more room. So we've created sort of a back run for them. And I would say that the, the first run is uh, probably 20 by 15 feet, mm-hmm. maybe 25 feet by 15. And that is completely covered in terms of uh, chicken wires so that hawks can't get them. And then we have a back run, which is just fit, which is just uh, at the perimeter is taken care of and it's not covered. And the rooster is in charge of getting them back under cover. If we have a hawk issue Mm -hmm. and I have had to say, okay, that is, that's the way it has to be. If I want to have a garden and I want to have these chickens, they've got plenty of room 
and I, I throw them a ton of green stuff and that's the way we're going to live in harmony. And so I can get ducklings and I can, and I have guinea fowl to walk around and give me that feeling of pastoral blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, that picturesque uh, Instagram image. Yes. Those Instagram images, <laughs> damn them. Yes. And uh, um, I was going to ask how your three barn slash house kitties and uh, your little, is it a terrier? Um, oh, gosh, get along yeah. with your chickens. They get along really well because when we, I have a Jack Russell and they absolutely would go after a bird. Uh, but he was raised with chicks. Mm-hmm. When we got him, we made sure we had chicks that year and we made sure his face was right in those chicks. The cats I had, there was no training a cat as I'm sure you know. <laughs> Um, So we just had to make sure that when those chicks were vulnerable uh, in terms of the cat looks at them and thinks I could still take that down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That they were fully protected. And once they were big enough, uh, then the, the, the cats will climb all over the structure, but they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't mess with the chickens. They're not stupid. The chickens will kill snakes. They'll kill mice. Mm -hmm. They'll kill, you know, they, they they're scary sometimes. Oh yeah, especially what, you know. in a gang. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, when they turn yeah. on something. Yeah. So, um any other advice for beginning chicken raisers, I guess I don't know what to say chicken farmers, um well, or know, and mixing them in with your garden. Um I would definitely spend extra money on good quality feed. Mhm. And I use uh, a feed called Dawson's Gap, which is a farm that's nearby me. Uh, and they also supply other feed stores. And it's an all-in-one feed, so I don't have to worry about extra calcium and extra this and extra that. Because normally you have to have grit and you have to have calcium added mm-hmm. to their pellets. And it's an all-in-one feed, so I'm aware that I'm paying a little more per pound or the calcium and the grit, but it's so well mixed. It smells fresh. It, I mean, I would eat it. I think I could put <laughs> some water in it yep. and I could, and I could eat it as gruel. Um, yeah. As gruel. <laughs> yep. And because of that, I think I have, I know I have healthier chickens. They're just, they're better off. And when I, every once in a while, if I run out of feed and my, my feed store is closed and I can't get it, And I have to use, I have to go to the just regular feed store and get their basic compressed pelletized food. It just smells sour. Mm. It doesn't smell good. And I wouldn't want to eat it myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a good test of pet food or animal feed. Would would you eat it yourself? Yeah. That's probably a good good choice. I definitely, I wouldn't eat what I throw to them in the compost bucket. Every, you know, all of our scraps go into there, but, yeah. um, and they'll eat everything. Chickens will eat, they will eat other chickens. I've seen that happen. Oh, yeah. Um, so you have to be the one, the chickens get absolutely everything, every single scrap with the exception, just because it's, it's just me who's doing this of chicken. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I have. Seen, they would I have it. seen them. Uh, yeah, a chicken leg thrown on the side. Side. I've seen chickens go for it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like I, a well, you know, you know, a chicken leg discarded. 
Well, I have butchered yep. chickens and then had all of the uh, all the entrails and stuff that have had to go to the hogs and seen the chickens jumping up there to eat their brothers and sisters. I'm like, yeah, that's just not right. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so this is not a um, a good podcast for um, animal lovers, but sadly, you know, chickens are scavengers. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't make them vegans. They, they yep. will eat what they want to eat, you know. <laughs> and, they will, and they will clean up the garden for you in that way. <laughs> in, in that way. Yeah. But you do, you, we keep it, we keep it um, uh, in a confined situation so that they have lots of room to stretch their legs. But they get a lot of green food. They get good quality feed. Uh, and, they, and they also get uh, scraps from the kitchen. Um, so that allows me to have that manure and have those eggs. And it just creates this just beautiful, perfect circle. And you can do this on a very small level too, Mm -hmm. because I have, so, uh, chickens only need about technically two to three square feet of space each in a run. And you can move, if you use a chicken tractor, you can just move the run every day. So they have some fresh grass, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it can be done. Well, I have done Once it. we're out of the stay at home orders, I'm going to come up for a bag of that good chicken manure. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I definitely need that for my vegetable beds. Um, oh, it's lovely. Yes. Stuff. But before I let you go, I wanted to circle back around to a $12 German word you used. Um, <laughs> which was Hugel culture, um, just to let our Hugel culture, yeah, yeah, just to let our listeners know what that is. Well, this is a system of, and and it's done a lot more methodically than I'm doing it here. But it's where you're taking uh, large amounts of biomass, and sometimes, and usually in the form of logs, uh, and wood, and you know, large pieces of wood. Those are being stacked on top of each other with more biomass, et cetera, et cetera. And you're creating a very large pile that very slowly breaks down. And it is then planted later. You put about six, seven inches of compost on the top of that uh, when you're ready to plant it. And uh, then you uh, plant into that. And those thi- those, that biomass just sort of slowly breaks down. Mm-hmm. And I can't give you the facts and figures about how, how much uh, carbon it traps or anything like that. But for me here, it's a, just a fabulous way of using so much of what the woodland is throwing at mm-hmm. us, what I am creating with my gardens, and to create new beds at the same time. And if you're interested in that in more depth, I would suggest going to perhaps Michael Wood. Um, he's got a great book on not on Hugo culture, but on um, on permaculture, mm-hmm. and he discusses that in that book. Which and, I cannot remember the name of. I'm sorry, Michael. And so, appro- <laughs> so appropriately named, Michael Wood. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yes, great um, yeah. So it's a, uh, um, it, it's just a really, it's a great way of just using what you have. And like I said, it's it's much more methodical when it's done properly. I I sort of tease about that's my Hugo culture bed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very trendy. But it works for me because I am not, I'm trying to build that up. I'm trying to build soil fertility up and I want the the bed to be high. Mm -hmm. And when I'm finally ready to 
landscape with it to to cultivate it it will be a very rich bed and at a good height and create a little bit of 3d and uh, that's that's what I'm doing it for nice yeah and if you have the space and you've you know lost a tree or two that's a that's a perfect reuse of that yeah Mm -hmm. oh my gosh did I say Michael Wood oh this is taking me back to my archaeological days (laughs) Michael Wood was an archaeologist Ah. Michael Judd is who Ah, I'm thinking of. So I am Michael Judd, uh, J-U-D-D, for those listeners. J-U-D-D. And Michael Wood is just a very hot archaeologist from like 1985. (laughs) (laughs) So forget all about Michael Wood, even though that would have been a perfect perfect name for a permaculture expert would be Michael Wood. It would. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Michael Judd, who um, lives in in Frederick County, um, so kind of between... Uh, above dc and not too far from you marianne so yeah look for michael woods and he has a great book also on um, michael judd michael judd michael judd has a great (laughs) book (laughs) now i'm going to call him michael wood he'll be like what who are you talking to but i definitely want uh, we'll have michael on the podcast um in future months because he has some great um fruit tree growing books and he has his own pawpaw festival that he runs every september um, at, his, he does. at his property in Frederick. So that's a not to be and, missed event. And last year he came out with uh, his book for the love of pawpaws, mm-hmm. which is just a great growing manual for people who are trying to uh, work with this not quote new, but uh, a different type of native fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and I have got more pawpaws here than I know what to do with, but sadly, they're all sort of from the same clone running all over my property, mm. and uh, they don't want to fruit as much as those that are, are different. So I have got to right now go down and make up some scrambled eggs and oatmeal for my ducklings. <laughs> Good uh, idea. Because I am, <laughs> I right. am now officially middle-aged. <laughs> Yay. And when can uh, and where can our listeners learn more about you and read your book on uh, smalltowngardener.com. They can find my blog or they can follow me on small town gardener on Instagram or the small town gardener on Facebook. And my book is big dreams, small garden. And I think I mentioned illegal chickens in there. Ah. Uh, At the time I had illegal chickens. Now they are fully legal. Uh, (laughs) But uh, they can find that there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Marianne. Good thank luck you, with Kathy. the new, with the new ducklings. I can't wait to see their sweet faces on your Instagram. Oh, they are so cute. <laughs> they are like four times as cute as chicks. I gotta Aww. tell you. Not more work though. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, Kathy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Before diving into what's blooming in my garden this week, or what I'm harvesting, I wanted to send out two big thank yous to a few new listener supporters, Kevin McIntosh and Taffy Turner. Thank you so much for your listener support. Over in the community garden plot this week, I was able to harvest asparagus, kale, and several radishes. I also shared some with a friend whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Randy! I checked on my strawberries because we had two freeze warnings and they seem to be doing okay. 
The edible peas, sweet peas, are taking off. Beets, carrots, spinach, lettuce, and purple moon kale seedlings are all a couple inches tall and looking great. And my garlic is going crazy. I think I might need to actually harvest it a month early this year. Back in my home garden, uh, it was Garden Blogger's Bloom Day on the 15th. And so I shared a long list of what's in bloom on our washingtongardener.blogspot.com uh, website and also on Instagram at WDC Gardener. I post photos from my garden every morning, so check out the pictures there. Uh, sampling of what's in bloom right now, wild ginger, which is really tough to find that flower. You have to kind of get down on your hands and knees and pick up those little tiny leaves and look underneath. And it's a dark maroon type flower that kind of sits on the ground. So look for it out there right now. My lily of the valley is super early. So I've already cut some from that. And I love having that little lemony scent all over the house. Primroses are still going strong, as are the violas and pansies. The redbud tree looks magnificent. Carolina jasmine is booming. The rhododendrons are just finishing, but have big flushes of new azaleas coming on. Weeping cherry tree has pretty much ended. And then I have a whole patch of epimedium looking magnificent this year. I have sulfur and pink champagne. Um, I don't know about my listeners out there, but I'm going crazy for epimediums. And I think I'm going to buy um, several new varieties to try out this year. In the rest of the garden, the bulbs are still persisting very well. We're having a long, cool spring for once. So we don't have all those tulips and daffodils just blow out in a day or two when it gets hot. And then my Solomon seals. I don't know why, but this year they are just putting on the best show ever. Um, I have a nice little patch around a bird bath, and I think I'm going to go out and take a couple more photos today. Happy gardening! This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Plant Profile, Lilac, Syringa vulgaris. The lilac is a large ornamental shrub whose flowers emit one of the most beautiful scents found in nature. On a sunny, breezy day, I can smell the lilacs in my side yard all the way down the block. The mid-Atlantic area is pretty much the southernmost region that lilacs can flourish in, as they need to experience a winter freeze and like a temperate climate. They prefer a sunny, well-ventilated location and can take most all soil types. The only real problem for them in our region is that they are prone to powdery mildew and in our humid climate, most show signs of it by late summer. It will not kill the plant, it's just unsightly. Remember to prune them after they finish flowering. Trim the bush to shape it and remove suckers at the same time. You can give them some leaf mulch or aged manure as a compost, but don't over-fertilize them. 
The blue meringue lilac was introduced to the market in recent years. It reblooms throughout the growing season. This plant is a bit controversial among old school gardeners who like their blooms to stay in season. In my opinion, flowering too often or not at the correct time is hardly a reason to dislike a plant. Though I am partial to the old standard lilacs and find them to be hardier, more robust plants. Other new introductions to look out for include dwarf varieties. There are also lilacs available in shades other than the classic blue-purple. Look for white, pink, and yellow kinds. Try planting a lilac in your garden today. You can grow that. Venting over leaf blowers. I'm feeling a bit vindicated this stay-at-home spring in that my neighborhood listservs have blown up with leaf blower complaints. Now that everybody is working from home, everybody is feeling the pain. Leaf blowers are the mosquitoes of the spring and autumn season, driving us work-from-home folks like myself crazy and forcing people indoors when they would like to enjoy their own yards. In my area, there are local regulations that cover not only the decibel levels permitted by leaf blowers, but also their hours of operation. Our local Montgomery County, Maryland noise ordinance spells out that leaf blowers are prohibited before 7 a.m. on weekdays and 9 a.m. on weekends and holidays. But of course, this morning, 8 a.m. sharp, they started up again. On any day, they can, cannot continue past 9 p.m. Few residents are aware of this law, and of course, enforcement is minimal. In neighboring Tacoma Park, Maryland, the city council wrangled over a ban of leaf blowers several times before legislation was finally passed. It's now banning city employees from using gas-powered leaf blowers, but does not limit others' use of them, the exact opposite of what was originally proposed. In my years of observations, the problem is not the professionals. It is the homeowners who use blowers for fairly small jobs that would be done more quickly and easily with a broom or a rake. It is also those who hire mow and blow crews and don't supervise them, letting them use multiple blowers at once and for hours on end. Many who would like a year-round ban on leaf blowers and other power lawn equipment during the weekend when they would like to relax in their own gardens. Others would just like to see a ban to cover weekday hours after 5 p.m. to ensure quiet evenings at home. Aside from the noise, leaf blowers are a nuisance in many other ways. The gas-powered blowers have two-stroke engines that pollute the air, and according to the California Air Resources Board, one half hour of leaf blower carbon monoxide emission is equivalent to about 110 miles of automobile travel at 30 miles an hour. <clears throat> Sorry, getting choked up by those leaf blowers outside. They also blow dust, mold, and other particulates into the air. Asthma and allergy sufferers are greatly impacted. Animal feces, heavy metals like lead, and pesticides are also blown about by these power tools and have been tied to serious illness in lawn work crews. Are leaf blowers really necessary? Tim Abrams, who operates Abrams Lawn Service locally, said that leaf blowers are very noisy and burn a lot of fuel, but they are a necessary part of his business if you want to stay competitive during the leaf season in this area. He explained, I myself really don't like to use them and prefer raking, but customers would not want to pay for the extra man hours that it takes. Three guys with nice blowers can clean out a yard and gutters in half the time as using rakes.
Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy dash gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to WashingtonGardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener magazine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.